In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This servant owes his Lord a massive debt. 10,000 talents. Now, it's a little tricky in figuring out exactly how much money this is, because a talent is a weight, and we don't know whether this was silver or gold. But let's, if we take a talent to be um, 20 years' wages, then this whole debt is worth 200,000 years of work. And it makes one wonder how someone could possibly amass a debt this big. So think about it this way. Let's say it's taken 40 years to accumulate the debt. And for the sake of round numbers, we'll put a year's salary at 50000 That means each year this servant has borrowed something like $250 million from the king. $250 million per year for 40 years. And so right at the start of this parable, we get a hint about the character of this king. He is unbelievably merciful and also unimaginably wealthy. To the servant, this king's wealth seems limitless. This means that the entire life of the servant has been one of living off the king's mercy. Now, in his life, the servant had continued to rack up debt. He didn't make payments, and the debt ballooned. But the servant isn't bothered. Why would he be? Every year, I go to him and ask him for more money, and he writes me a check. $250 million dollars. It's a pretty good gig. I don't know how I ended up with such a gracious master. I don't know why he would be so kind to me. But it is a good arrangement. He likes giving me his money, and I like spending it. And certainly a king so wealthy and so generous as to lend me such large sums of money He would never come to collect. And if he did, all I would have to do is ask him for more time. He'll be merciful, and he'll give me more. So the servant receives his summons from the king, and so he knows that he must go and negotiate the next year's business. The servant is ready. Every year it's the same. The king goes into some long speech about debt, Some might even call it a sermon. And then the servant says, I'm sorry, give me another chance. I promise I'll make you a prophet this year. And then the king pulls out his checkbook. But this year, something's different. In fact, there's no sermon at all, just an itemized bill and the demand for immediate payment. But he can't pay, not even one year's worth of debt. The king issues the order, sell this man into slavery, sell his wife, sell his children, sell all that he has. The servant is shocked. 
This king used to be so nice to me. What happened? Why will he not just loan me more? Why does he threaten me and my family with slavery? How could the servant possibly begin to repay this? He is undone. He has no hope left. He falls to his knees in despair. Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. How naive. This servant still doesn't see how great his debt really is. Does he think that he can spend the next 20 years paying back the debt? Is he really going to make $500 million payments every year? And yet, he thinks somehow that he can pay it back. And so, in a way, he's, he'll be happy to receive the king's generosity. But I don't think he thinks he needs it. He thinks that somehow this astronomical debt that he faces is manageable. And yet, the king is merciful. He has pity. In fact, the word that's used here is the term that's used of Jesus when he sees people in need, people who cannot help themselves, and he is moved in his very heart to have compassion on them. So also this king, when he hears the servant ask for patience, he knows the servant could never begin to repay this. And so being merciful, he will forgive the debt, every last part of it. The king will pay. The servant is forgiven. He goes free. He doesn't owe the king one penny. But then, when he departs from the palace, he bumps into a fellow servant. This man owed him money, a hundred denarii, that is, a hundred days' wages. So to use our numbers from earlier, about $17,000. And so it's a significant amount, but it's nothing like what this first servant owed. That the first servant doesn't consider what he had been forgiven, so he grabs hold of his fellow servant and begins to choke him. Filled with fear, the fellow servant falls to his knees and begs, Be patient, and I will repay. But his creditor would have no patience. He wants vengeance. So he cast the man into prison until payment could be made. The servant who had been given mercy had no mercy to give. Though the king had given him mercy, he didn't want it. Because he didn't want a kingdom of mercy and forgiveness. He wanted to live in a kingdom of justice. He didn't want to live in a kingdom where debts are forgiven. He wants debts to be paid. Now, the fellow servants recognize what's going on, and they bring the matter before the king in deep sorrow and immense grief. And then the first servant is summoned. Oh, you wicked servant, what have you done? 
Did I not grant you full pardon and remission of all your debt? Is there no compassion in your heart toward your fellow servant? The servant is speechless. He has no defense. And the king delivers him over to jailers until he should pay everything. Now this servant who had received mercy didn't have any mercy to give. He didn't believe that the king had jailers or torturers. And even if the king did have them, he didn't believe the king would ever use them. And so it will be for you, says Jesus, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And so you know this text isn't really about a financial debt, but about the debt of sin. It's not really about a servant who, owned, who owed a king in the ancient Near East. It's about you and your debt of sin toward God. And that makes this a scary text. Because Jesus says that the demand for repayment could come upon you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. And if this text is really about the forgiveness of sins, and since Jesus describes forgiving your brother, that means it's a text about the church. And it means it's about a man in the church who ends up condemned. And so how could our God, who is the king, now require payment for sins previously forgiven? Now the answer to all these questions lies in the same place. It's about what the servant believes. Does he believe he had an actual debt? Does he believe his debt is truly forgiven? Does he even want to believe in the forgiveness? In other words, it's about faith. We know the servant is unforgiving toward his fellow servant because he doesn't really want mercy himself. He doesn't think he needs it. He doesn't think that God's mercy will help him. He thinks that he can pay. In fact, even more than that, he wants a kingdom of self-enforced justice. He wants the other guy to pay up. So consuming is his desire for personal vengeance that he will take the king's mercy out of his own life. He will prefer to have the whole judgment of his own debt fall on his own head as long as he gets a taste of personal revenge. He will send himself to judgment and hell if only he can once enact his own justice. And that's what makes this story so sad. But if he actually believed in the king's forgiveness, it would have been a different story. And believing in the king's forgiveness means first believing that there is a debt. It means believing that he cannot pay this debt. It means that the king will demand payment. 
that there are jailers and torturers. Or, to put it in theological terms, you must believe in the forgiveness of your sins. You must believe that you have sins that need forgiving. In fact, that all the sins that you have need forgiving. And that you cannot atone for them yourself. You must believe that judgment day is coming. That all those who reject God's mercy will suffer the torment of hell. That means your entire hope rests on God's mercy, not just in the fact that he let you accumulate a huge debt, not just in the forgiveness of your own debts, but also in the forgiveness you have for your brother in Christ. So let's see about retelling this story. There was once a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants, And he deliberately called a certain man before him. For the king had been recently reminded that this man was far behind in his debts. And as the man stands before him, the king says, Let us review the ledger. It says here, You owe me a thousand bushels of wheat, five thousand measures of oil, fifteen thousand bushels of wheat, five hundred talents each of silver and gold, Your total bill is $10 million. How will you be making payment today? Oh, there's no payment? That's right, there is no payment. I see that you've never made a payment. You're long overdue. But it doesn't matter how you've managed to mess this up so badly. Today, your bill is due. Please, Please don't send me to prison. Maybe we can come to some kind of an arrangement. Could you find it in your heart to give me a little more time? More time? More time? Not with a hundred lifetimes could you even begin to pay it back. The law is clear. You deserve prison. Your wife and children and all you have are to be sold. No, please. Could you maybe overlook a a few bushels of wheat? Or maybe reduce the bill by a measure or two of olive oil? No. No, that isn't possible. The debt must be paid. I can't overlook any part of what you owe. But I'll tell you what I can do. You see, there's my son. My only son has, who has significant savings in his account. There's enough there to cover the debt. So I'll make the transfer. Don't worry about a thing. I'll arrange the payment and take care of all the details. Now the sh- servant shrugged and turned to leave. But the guards stopped him. The king isn't done with you yet. That's right, said the king. There's that other matter. Other matter? What other matter? Didn't you forgive the debt? Yes, that debt is forgiven. But there's another ledger. In fact, there's a whole library of ledgers. There's a great deal more that you owe. Because you don't just owe me for things. 
You owe me your allegiance, your devotion, your love. You owe me for the times you casually used my name when I'm sure you definitely weren't praying, or when you cursed another person, one of those people that my son redeemed by his blood. You owe me for your children. Yes, I know that you love them, but remember the other day when you acted as though they were more like a bother than a treasure and gift? And you owe me also for your parents, all the good that I have given you through them. Remember how often you have despised them and forsaken their wisdom? How many times you have lied to them and ignored them? And then there's the matter of your sloth at work and school. When you cheated on your project, your exam, you didn't just cheat your boss and your teachers. You owe me for that. And when you heard that gossip about that person you call your friend, you didn't stand up for him. You let his name get dragged through the dirt. In that time, you saw that woman in need, and you decided it wasn't convenient for you to help her. You owe me for her. And when you went on vacation and thought it wouldn't really matter if you didn't go to church along the way, well, it did hurt. It hurts me. You didn't let me speak to you and fill you with my love. I wanted to be with you and to bless you, and now you owe me for that. And then there was that sermon a few weeks back. It was one of those sermons about my son dying on the cross for you, but you tuned it right out. You kept thinking about all the things that you had to do and wondering when the pastor might get on to something interesting. Oh, I already know all this, you said. But that's my son hanging there. You owe me, too, for the way you behaved with the person who wasn't your spouse yet. You never got caught, and everyone thinks it's fine. But it's not. It's not according to my design for you, and I love you. And even when you weren't engaging in that kind of activity with your body and emotions, you did so with your mind, imagining all manner of unwholesome things. I warned you not to, and now those images are stuck in your mind. You owe me for not making faith in me your number one priority in life. I love you, and I care for you, and then you complain and pity yourself. Now I see here, too, that all your supposed good works, your attempts to pay, have been only filthy rags. Your personal judgment day has come. Your life is over. It seems I have now finished chapter one. Shall I continue to chapter two? The servant stood before the king, speechless, dumbfounded. He hadn't considered it was this bad. And this was only the tiniest part of it. I don't think I can bear to hear another word. 
But before he could tell the king that no, he doesn't want to hear chapter 2, the king continued to speak. Don't say another word, because my son and I, we love you, and there's still plenty in my son's account to cover your debt. He'll pay it off, the whole thing. Consider it done. Now, maybe you are tempted to ask for more time, another opportunity to live right, another chance to be righteous. Maybe you want to pay some of it off. Don't. Instead, ask for mercy and say this, I, a poor sinner in need of mercy, confess all my sins before you. I have deserved punishment now and for all eternity, but the weight of these sins troubles me greatly. I cannot free myself. But you are a God of boundless mercy, so apply the holy, innocent blood of your beloved Son. Give me the benefit of his bitter suffering and death on my behalf. And confess what you prayed in the intro it. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore you are feared. You, dear servant, are forgiven and free. Go in peace. In fact, more than taking away your debts, I'm going to do something better. I'm going to take my son's entire account and empty it into yours. You don't just get your debts taken away. You get his righteousness. You get his name, his sonship, his life, his wealth, his body and blood. You get his entire inheritance. You are free. You are released from all of your debts. The servant finally felt like he could breathe again, like the world had been lifted from his shoulders, but he was still kind of speechless, so he simply whispered a little word, Amen. But on his way home, he stumbled into a fellow servant. This second servant had been unkind to him, And the second servant said to the first, Look, I know I've been unkind to you. I've said some pretty awful things. No, stop. You don't have to say any more. I forgive you. Please, let me finish. I've said these things because I'm jealous of you. In fact, I've been so jealous that I was the one who reminded the king about your debts. You? You did that? You said that to him? Do you know what I went through because of that? I'm so kind to you, and then you go and do something like that? The first servant tensed up, and he grabbed hold of his fellow servant tightly and looked him squarely in the eye and forgave him. And he said, Rejoice with me, for the king has forgiven all my debts. And if the king had never addressed my debts, I never could be this free. In fact, the king gave me more mercy than I could ever use in a whole lifetime. 
the king gave me his entire inheritance. I have access to the fullness of his wealth. You should have his mercy too. Here, friend, I forgive you. And now come with me to the king, because I know that you also owe him. Come with me and hear how he has forgiven all your debts. And the little congregation grew by the forgiveness of their sins in Jesus' name. And as they went out, they found yet more servants who owed them both. And they also blessed them. Rejoice, friends, our sins are forgiven. And we also forgive you in the name of Jesus. Amen. The peace of God keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.